That you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender And emotional, sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel 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 So good, so good, so good to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM, your local feminist radio show that has a focus on intersectional feminism. Um, my name is Christina. I'm one of your hosts. I use pronouns she, her, and I have a returning guest with me here today. Hi, everybody. This is Shannon Bloodworth. I know I sound weird, but it's just because I have a cold. This is, in fact, me. I am not trying to steal Shannon's identity. <laughs> I'm so glad you clarified that. I was worried. <laughs> The University of Manitoba campuses are located on the stolen lands of Anishinaabeg, Nihiawak, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Denny peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We respect the treaties that were made on these territories. We acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and those that are still ongoing in the present. We acknowledge our privilege as settlers on this land, and we dedicate ourselves to move forward in partnership with Indigenous communities in a spirit of decolonization and collaboration. All right, so today we're going to have a cool conversation about non-binary stuff. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> love talking about non-binary stuff. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, as recently as a couple months ago, I heard of some folks trying to get together in Manitoba and basically push for a gender marker X on the driver's license. And I know that in some other provinces, they've actually succeeded in doing that. Mm, um, I think it's Ontario. I think if so. I'm remembering correctly. Ontario is really hot and cold right now. I like what what's going on <laughs> over there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So basically, what do you think of that? What do you think of having a gender marker X? Uh, I think when I first heard about that, like I was really excited just to even, you know, like they're considering this is a thing. They're, you know, acknowledging people who aren't strictly male and female exist, aren't strictly men and women exist. Um, but I also worry that it could be used to target trans people you know right. make it very um visible i think the better solution would be to just not have any gender markers at all on your ids because it really doesn't tell you anything that you'd really need to know just meeting somebody and people i hear will say like oh it's you know your driver's license like it's it's medically necessary um mm -hmm. and all of that in case you're in an accident like they need to know that for medical reasons but like your driver's license doesn't have your blood type. It doesn't list your allergies. You know, all these things that are way more medically relevant. If you were ever in an accident, all that MRF tells you is, is this a person who could get pregnant? And if they're, say, a, a post-op trans person, that's not even accurate. Yeah, people love to make those medical arguments to try to defend the binary. Did we say our pronouns at the start? No. Oh, my God. 
I, I, okay, I use pronouns she, her. I use they, them. So obviously <laughs> I'm the authority on every non-binary experience ever. Naturally, we're going to take your word as law. <laughs> Shannon for as president. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, we're completely Couldn't be this. any worse than Trump. Yeah, I have some, uh, like with the gender marker X, um, and, I, and I've heard that people have varying uh, perspectives on this. I, I totally see your point. It would make it very obvious and very easy to target people if, you know, you've got it, boom, right there on the documentation that you are different. But some people might see it as validation, of course. I think that's probably the main argument for getting it in mm-hmm. place. I don't have a conclusive answer to that, but I know that that's definitely a huge factor for people, you know, have it officially and authoritatively recognized that this is a real thing. I guess, you know, what would be validating if I could come out safely at at work and everyone would respect my pronouns. (laughs) Yes, That's how you can validate me. Exactly. I guess. So what you're saying is if we were in a society where people weren't targeted for being Mm non-binary, then that would probably be fine. (laughs) In an ideal world. Yes. Yes, in the ideal world where Shannon is president. (laughs) That's the good timeline, in case you were wondering. (laughs) I also, the first thing that came to mind in terms of whether or not these should be on forms is that I know that sometimes when you apply for certain jobs, they will recognize that you're applying for a job that is in your non-traditional gender role. So... Um, as I bring up firefighting for the hundredth time, when I fill out the forms for firefighting, they actually have a form for me to fill out because I'm entering a job that is stereotypically like not a woman's job. And then I have a whole form for that. And then they have like spots for if you're indigenous, if you're an invisible minority, if you have a mental illness, etc. And um, I guess I don't know what they do with that. I don't know if they have some quota they need to fill. But basically, that's their I guess, interim measure as we move towards a more inclusive society. I would hope to God that we're moving in that direction. But (laughs) if they had forms for gender oppressed people, not just women, I could see that being somewhat useful in that regard. But of course, I think we can agree that the ideal would be just that we would be in a society where gender just wouldn't bloody matter. Non-binary in research. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that? You just spent the last year immersed and uh, doing your own research in psychology. (laughs) Exactly. Mine was on fish, though, and my fish was gender fluid. So we're off to a good start. Oh, love it. Love it. (laughs) Glitter fins. I think it's really appropriate. What a hero. I I think it's really appropriate for a fish to be gender fluid. (laughs) Yeah. So I just spent the last, uh, like, I, I just finished my psychology honors degree and the last year of the degree you spend completely immersed in consuming analyzing and producing psychological research psychological literature and the the representation outside of the gender binary is slim to none and it's worrisome now they will sometimes more than sometimes often try to use the argument that it just makes it easier for statistical analysis. That's actually our argument for a lot of the ways that they design the tests uh, to just have a categorical variable rather than having it on a continuum. I think that's a really weak argument. I mm-hmm. think that is that is a whole pile of poo. <laughs> this is a family show, Christina. What are you doing? I know. I, please clean out your ears. <laughs> I am sorry for soiling them. <laughs> but... um. 
it's a continuous variable and it's it might even be more than a continuous variable it's to just argue that it's easier for statistical analysis that's lazy honestly i'm calling you out you're being lazy and you don't want to acknowledge the reality mm. that is our world go off yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's strange to be in a classroom where no one wants to talk about that Whew. that's uh, that's not pessimistic. I'm not being pessimistic. <laughs> there are some professors who are very invested. It's literally been in some of the classes where they're like, this is how you should actually conduct this test. Do you leave it open-ended? Do you just include more options? And we have had that conversation in some of the classes from some of the professors who I think have their heads screwed on straight. But <laughs> So, like, thank God it's it's being brought up. But basically, that should be on every research ever that asks demographic questions at all, I think. Because it's different mm -hmm. from the job situation. It's just gaining information about you. What do you mm -hmm. think? Yeah, I never have had to do my own research, but I definitely think like these populations need to be considered. Uh, I think it, not that the experience isn't already valid, but having the scientific backing can add validity or make it be seen as, you know, more real uh, in, in certain people's eyes. And also like, it's a thing that exists. Like we need to talk about it. We need to acknowledge it. it we need to examine it. I just hope that it doesn't go down the road of like when you start researching things like why are people gay? Why are people trans? How do we fix it? That's what I hope doesn't Ugh. happen. Ugh. Back to the age of psychoanalysis. <laughs> Thanks, Freud. For Everything that one. is Freud's fault. It's, it's all Freud's fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally hear you. And it sucks how in every single facet of our lives and our worlds, the oppressive systems make their way into it. The patriarchal thought makes its way into into bloody everything. So, of course, it makes its way into research. And I think you're right that uh, if those questions did start being answered, there probably would be some crappy people who would start trying to ask those questions. But I think for the most part, and this is me advocating for the scientific community, um, I might be biased given that that's going to be my career is producing psychological research. But we we have a lot of measures in place to try to keep ourselves objective so i can just hope to god that if we just collect data on the situation if we start collecting data on the lives and experiences and psychological experiences of non-binary people that we can just start to be able to accurately describe the the experience of non-binary people on a wide scale because having science back mm. up things tends to help i find um Shannon, I really love your um, piece that you did in the FAQ a few years ago. Low-key, I actually mm. talked about this on a first date once. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Really? I, let's, talk, let's delve into that. I, <laughs> in what context? <laughs> so your piece called Gender, Sexuality, and the Sci-Fi Imagination that you wrote in the FAQ, the oh Feminist God. and Queer Collective, in uh, 2017. I literally brought it up on a first date. Because I was like, there's so many good pieces in this publication. There's one that talks about how in in like in sci-fi, non-binary people tend to be represented by like non-human characters. So non-binary people have this weird circumstance where they can relate to these aliens and robots and stuff. And it's like this just really awesome theoretical analysis. And I, I, I and went the other off. person was getting really turned on listening to you talk about this. I hope to God it worked out. <laughs> I, so maybe you were like low key my wing person. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. 
I genuinely love this piece. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about? Sure. We've just got it on the screen in front of us as I try to remember things I wrote two years ago. Hmm. Okay, to summarize this, um, basically I was thinking about all of the, because I really love sci-fi, and I think it has such amazing uh, imaginative, imaginative power as a genre, just to invent your own world and kind of your own rules and sort of break all these sort of conventions that more, I don't want to say more traditional media has, but a lot of more, I don't know, do you know what I mean by that? Just you can kind of create a world from the ground up uh, and imagine the possibilities of what could be, uh, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. But it also sort of separates this experience of queer people from their humanity a little bit. Um, because you have all these uh, alien races kind of being uh, invented and sort of queer coded. Um, I'm just going to pull an example from one of my favorite video game series, Mass Effect, um, the Asari. And they're a race of, you know, they're they're all one gender. They like kind of refer to themselves as female, use she, her pronouns, but like men and women sort of don't have any meaning in their society because they're all the same gender. Uh, And they're all famously uh, known for being able to mate with any gender, any species in the galaxy. So they're also pansexual. Uh, And we never say that word in the trilogy at all. But that's what I mean. Like, those are very obvious parallels to the LGBT community. Um, So there's lack of canonical representation. Lack of canonical representation is an issue. And, And by that, I mean stuff that is explicitly stated, not even by the show's creators, but in the show or in the game in its... In, in the run of the show or like in the book, like it's in the text um, and there's no debate about it. Um, so not doing the Swedish thing J.K. Rowling does where years later says, oh, by the way, Dumbledore was gay. By the way, Neville had a foot fetish. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're inferring it. just inferring it. Uh, and the parallels definitely exist. Um, but that's also a really lazy form of representation. Um, but that's yeah. kind of what we have to work with and what a lot of people end up identifying with. Um, the issue with that, though, is we're always these things that are not human. So what does that say about the human queer people? You know, and all the humans in this media tend to be like straight and cis, which like widens the gap even more and makes it even more of a difference. I like when I can sort of compare examples from within the same piece of media so people aren't just like, oh, it's just that one person or that one network. Um, Again, uh, sticking with Mass Effect, there are these two AI artificial intelligence characters, one named Legion, one named Edie. Legion is coded as male, Edie is coded as female, and just the like difference in their physical appearance in the game and also the stuff that they kind of focus on in their story arcs is different. So like Legion is coded as male and Legion gets to look like a robot and the focus is not so much on Legion's appearance and there's a lot about Legion becoming like an individual person, not just part of a networked intelligence. So there's there's that. But with Edie, who's coded as female, like she was a computer program, but then gets downloaded into a mobile platform. And this robot body has boobs. Uh, why? And like curves and hair. And it looks like it's wearing lingerie. Like, come on. Uh, come on. And like, and not this is not to trash Edie at all. She's actually my favorite character from the series. Um, but her personal growth arc and part of her finding humanity is also developing a crush on the pilot of the Normandy, which is the spaceship you're on, which is, again, like, it's not a bad thing in and of itself that that happens, but that that is, first of all, so often a part of 
a female character's story, sometimes part of a man's story, almost always part of a woman's story. Yeah, being validated by the love of a man kind of thing. That's definitely a, a theme that we see. Mm-hmm, but also that that's so inextricably linked to finding your humanity is mm-hmm. performing heteronormativity, performing cis normativity. What does that say to someone who's so strongly identified with this character? And now they're like, oh, but that's what didn't make you human. This is what will make you human. Damn, fam. Was real angry when I realized that. <laughs> yeah, as you, as you have every right to be. It's really interesting to think about the development of the non-binary conversation and um, and kind of how we talk about it. I think on social media, uh, I think we've kind of used it as this tool to create really effective and nuanced conversations about how we want to speak about these issues, how we want things to be identified. And a really cool thing that I see a lot of on there is how we talk about how non-binary people are expected to look a certain way. They're supposed to look androgynous. <sighs> Thoughts. <laughs> Lay you, them kick on us. The, you kick the hornet's nest. I'm ready. <laughs> mm. I've got my bees suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, hope you've got like a net, a hat with a net on it or something. Oh, yeah. Don't you see um, it? <laughs> yeah. The image, I think, of a non-binary person to a lot of people is a very like young, white, thin, uh, androgynous looking person. Uh, and that's very much not me. <laughs> and usually AFAB. Yeah. Assigned female at birth. Yeah. Um, it's good that you bring that up because there's definitely more... I think like a person assigned male as birth or AMAB to see them experimenting with their gender or maybe trying to do stuff that's a little more non-conforming or feminine is sometimes seen as a lot more uh, transgressive. Yep. Which, yeah. Because in our so- yeah, because in our society's context, it's seen as a loss, a step down of power. Mm-hmm. You're also seen as predatory. Like a lot of those, the yeah. bathroom bills, the arguments are like, oh, it's a man dressing up as a woman to go in and prey on it's it's very rarely like the women are or afab people are seen as predators mm-hmm. um and like double that if this is a person of color oh the more like stigmatized identities you have the more you're sort of seen as predatory especially i think for for black people in especially absolutely yeah yeah people have this archetype of what non-binary is supposed to look like in their minds but the fact is you you straight up cannot tell the gender of a person by looking at them. In any case. In yeah. any case. Even if they're naked, I might add, which you don't need to know. <laughs> you don't need to know about a person's genitals to make this conclusion anyway. God, that's the first question people have. Just what mm-hmm. I need to know. What is in your pants? Yeah. How, what an inappropriate <laughs> society. What is in your pants? Well, I've got like a cup. I've got some change. I've got like an elastic band. <laughs> Do you need a pen? I, it, might, it might be dry. <laughs> what gender are those objects? I need to know. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That tells you my gender. If I'm wearing pants with pockets, I'm definitely a man, right? <laughs> oh, clearly. Naturally. <laughs> Ugh. But no, the fact is somebody who wears dresses could identify as non-binary, male, female, trans, somebody who wears pants, who has a beard, who has breasts, who has anything, like any characteristic, who has leg hair, armpit hair, whatever it is, all of these things are completely arbitrary. They're your just 
how you present and your physical form. It has nothing to do with your gender. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, a lot of the times, and I think as we work towards the normalization of non like every space being non-binary inclusive, we should always be asking pronouns. Everyone should be talking pronouns. It should be just as common as saying your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. And it's so normalized and it does take the pressure off me a little bit because I always feel like weirdly like I'm interrupting the conversation or when when I start that, I don't know, people kind of look at me funny. Exactly. Um, (laughs) No, it should be extremely normalized that there's varying pronouns and that you won't necessarily use the pronouns that you quote unquote look like you would. So if you see a person that looks very stereotypically female and if they tell you their pronouns are he, him, Respect the hell out of that. Don't just respect it in their presence. Don't don't just respect it when you're in the presence of people who you think are going to check you for it. It's not a difficult thing. It is 100% internalized uh, hetero, is heteronormativity, I guess. Well, what, cisnormativity. Cis, yeah, cisnormativity. It's internalized cisnormativity that's leading you to have this difficult time with pronouns. Do people have a difficult time with pronouns of drag queens? Yes. <laughs> oh, do they? Do they actually? Yeah, they okay. Do. Well, I guess it depends what space you're in, but a lot mm-hmm. of the time, not as much actually. Yeah, people don't have issues with pronouns when it's for a dog. True. Yeah. Yeah. And dogs look the same regardless of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing I wanted to touch on that I kind of thought of while we were talking about non-binary having a look. Uh, was I was listening recently to a lecture by Sonali Rashatwar, who is one of my favorite fat, positive, fat liberation activists and writers. Uh, and they're also non-binary and they're uh, very brilliant. So basically, the gist of this lecture was they were talking about how being fat sort of impacted their experience of gender because growing up, they're an AFAB person and women are kind of expected to be you're small, you're dainty, but they definitely weren't and how there was a lot of freedom in that like if I'm not that kind of woman what kind of woman am I maybe I'm not a woman at all that it sort of enabled them to explore other sides of their gender and their identity and I think I definitely feel the same way for myself Uh, I'm also a fat person I feel like certainly I think everybody assigned female at birth has like this pressure to perform femininity which I definitely did have Uh, and especially like if you if you are bigger like that's kind of how you're taken seriously and you're seen as more respectable if you really strongly conform to these feminine ideals but Mm -hmm. I also didn't have the same and um, Sonali referred to it as like marketability Mm. where like you don't have the same appeal to a man if you're not thin Um, so there was also like Visibly gagging. <laughs> yeah, which is awful, but like, yeah, so there was there was sort of less of an expectation in that way for you to sort of be doing something specifically to appeal to men and to the male gaze, which I definitely feel like I didn't date anyone in high school. And I'm glad I didn't because yikes. Yikes. Yikes indeed. <laughs> yeah, but I just feel, I don't know, like... Like it wouldn't have been a good relationship because I also felt really shitty about myself. Yeah. And I would have felt compelled to only date men, Mm -hmm. which is not what I want to do. So, yeah, like it 
oh, that's such a weird way to and cheesy way to phrase it. But it was kind of like a blessing in disguise uh, in a way that mm-hmm. I was sort of freed from some of those heteronormative expectations. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you mentioned the male gaze. Uh, we talked about this in um, feminism in popular culture. And the male gaze is this really creepy thing that you can just see in cinema. And it has a very particular pattern. Basically, um, the stereotypically female woman enters the room and the camera goes from her feet all the way up. And it just like slowly goes over her. And this, um, was it lookability you said? Marketability. Marketability. And the marketability of her would sort of depend on the degree to which she is um, attracting this male gaze. I just had to point that out. I think they really did a good job of um, kind of satirizing this in uh, the movie called I'm Not an Easy Man. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Mm, haven't seen it. Oh, that movie is a lot of fun. It's this French movie. It's on Netflix. Um, and basically it's this like really misogynistic guy who likes to catcall and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it treats women like objects. He hits his head on a pole and then he wakes up and all gender roles are reversed. This is a really mm-hmm. fun movie, Shannon. I think you would really like it. Okay, I'll <laughs> check it out. I'll put it on the list. <laughs> and one of the things they do really interestingly is they actually reverse the male gaze as well. So there's this one moment where uh, like, there winds up being a bit of a love interest in the plot. And she's imagining him like sitting on this like pretty recliner with like his legs shaved and just like like sitting there with like his hand on his chin and just like eyes mm-hmm. soft like just gazing and like just like phase into the shot and it's like it's really creepy mm-hmm. and it's like that's what we do to women have you ever heard of the book red-blooded american male i think that's what it's called it's like a photo series of a bunch of men but they're kind of posed like how women would pose if they were modeling for ads and whatnot um <laughs> Also pretty funny. Check it out. (laughs) That might not even be the title. So I apologize if that's wrong. But yeah, kind of same concept. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever heard of um, Hilda? She was a pinup girl model. It was a series of drawings. But she always looked like reverse of the male gaze. Whenever she was in like an outfit that was seductive, it was like something that she was choosing to put on. And like the photos are like playful and like she's enjoying herself and just feeling herself. Um, So even though they are like meant to titillate there's she has this agency so it's not i would say not really the male gaze um and hilda's awesome oh yeah here for having agency like Mm -hmm. (laughs) absolutely you can choose to display yourself however you wish and draw attention in the ways that you wish the point is of course that it doesn't need to be validated by that male gaze thank you so much for being on the show today shannon um yeah no problem i always love it Absolutely. Do you want to share your Instagram? Sure. If you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts, I am at Sarcastic Shannon on Instagram. Also on YouTube, I do every once in a while post uh, videos talking about this kind of stuff on there. Go to Shannon's comedy shows. (laughs) (laughs) Shannon's brilliant. You're going to be in the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Can you please tell us what night that's going to be? It feels weird, like weirdly like... <laughs> self just like you're promotion. not promo- it's it's me um, promoting you started you. it you started, I started it, it. <laughs> um so if you <laughs> if you like to laugh uh, and talk about gender uh, i am going like to be... laugh until you cry <laughs> uh, i am going to be uh, in a show in the winnipeg comedy fest called don't shush me it is may 4th uh, at the gas station arts theater 7 p.m i think tickets are 20 dollars. if you go to there's also a link on my instagram to buy tickets to that show if you're interested yeah come Do check it. it out go
because I'll be at firefighting, but please go and I will live vicariously through you. <laughs> um, be sure to check out the show's Instagram as well. Wake the F up, UMFM. Oh, I should also mention um, the person, Sonali Rashatwar, the activist I mentioned, is at the Fat Sex Therapist on Instagram. If you want to check out any of their work, they're brilliant. Thank you for that. All right, this has been Wake the F Up, and catch you next week.